So this fall, we're walking through our big stories. If you grew up in a church, these are stories you probably learned very early on in your childhood. They're in every children's Bible. There are many children's books about them. But this fall, we're going to take these big stories that have typically only been for our little ones and reclaim them for us as well. We're going to dive deeper into them, look at them again, and see what we can now see about who God is and how it is that we can follow God. This week, we're coming to Moses. Moses, one of the most important figures in the Bible. Moses, who's pretty much the main character of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, who traditionally wrote the first five books of the Bible himself. So many good stories. There's the parting of the Red Sea, the Passover, the burning bush. There's the Ten Commandments. There's manna from heaven in the wilderness. But for this morning, we're going to look at Moses' first story, the story of his birth, a story that's about so much more than being adopted into Pharaoh's own household and becoming the prince of Egypt. And so as we look to God's word this morning, I want to invite you to do whatever you need to do to take a moment and ready your heart and your mind to hear not just another story, but the voice of God speaking through it to you today. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now, there was a man from the house of Levi who went and married a Levite woman. And she conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a good baby, she hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She placed the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the river. His sister stood at a distance to watch and see what would become of him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women to nurse him for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her own, and she named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him up out of the waters. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we listen together to God's word this morning, I want to look a little deeper into this story. As we look a little deeper, there's two things that I want to talk about. I want to look together at the story in this story and about this story in the story. Got it? So the story in this story and then this story in the story. So first, the story in this story. Because this is an incredible story. This is masterful storytelling, thick with drama and irony and everything that makes for a great narrative. But if you're like me, you might have just missed it. What I realized this week in studying this passage again is that because I know it and because I know what happens next, all of that is lost on me. All of the suspense is just gone and I don't actually really appreciate it at all. And so, the first thing I want to do is look at the story in this story. The first thing we heard was that command from Pharaoh that every boy born to the Hebrews people would be thrown into the Nile. A little background. Last week we talked about Joseph. They came down into Egypt, and in the generations that followed, the family grew and grew and grew, and the Hebrew people, the descendants of that family, became so large that the Egyptians got nervous. They began to see them as a threat to national security, and so Pharaoh did what any leader does in the midst of threats to national security. Rounded them up, enslaved them, forced labor upon them to control them, But the more Pharaoh was harsh to the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the more they grew and grew. So Pharaoh took a new tack, a new policy. He told every midwife to kill every male child born. No men, no one to take up arms against me. Although, as we'll come to find out, Pharaoh will regret underestimating women. Am I right, ladies? The midwives disobey this command with a clever little white lie, and the policy goes nowhere. So Pharaoh gets more aggressive. A new policy is announced here in chapter 1, verse 22. Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. So let that just sink in for a second. Every single boy that is born will be ripped from his mother's arms and thrown into a massive, sweeping river to drown. Helpless, vulnerable newborns emerging from the womb, fighting for their first breaths, only to be thrown back beneath the waters and killed. Parents having this life ripped from their arms and destroyed. And it's with this mass infanticide in the background that the story then zooms in as chapter 2 begins to a man. A man born in the house of Levi, one of the tribes of these Hebrew people, who goes and marries a Levite woman. And we hear the good news that she conceives. And the joy of that pregnancy is mixed with the growing anxiety because of this new policy that's been announced. And as the woman goes into labor, there's a whole other layer of worry involved that's only confirmed when the child emerges and they discover he's a boy. 
And so as she finally holds this child in her arms that she's carried for nine months now, she knows that she must hand him over to a cruel death. But as this woman gazes into the eyes of her son, something snaps. She looks at him and sees that he is good, a direct echo of Genesis 1 where God makes and sees and it is good. And she decides that there's something more to this baby and that she will risk her life to defy Pharaoh to hide him. And she manages to do so for three months. Each day the risk grows. Each time the boy cries could be the moment they're discovered and both killed. And after three months, it's simply too difficult, and she must find a new way. So she takes a basket. She lines it with bitumen and pitch so it's watertight. She places her son in it and walks down to the shores of the Nile River. It would be hard to imagine what is going through her head. It would be hard to imagine what she prays as she closes the basket and lays her son in the water. She's now followed Pharaoh's orders. If not the spirit of them, at least the letter. She's put him in the Nile. And as he sits there floating among the reeds in a small ark, she hopes against hope that something, anything, would keep him from starvation or sinking. And somehow she musters the courage to then walk away. Her daughter, though, stays behind. We hadn't heard, but there's an older sibling we don't know if she's left by the mother to watch or if she simply came curious of what would come, become of her younger brother. We don't know how long she watches until she notices a royal entourage coming down to the river. It's the princess. It's Pharaoh's daughter coming to bathe in the river. We don't know if it's to wash herself, to clean herself, or if it's some sort of ritual she's performing in this river that was counted a god. But whatever the reason, as Pharaoh's daughter bathes in this river with attendants along the shoreline, she notices the basket. This is the point where knowing the end ruins the suspense. Because for me, that's a moment where hope jumps. But if we don't know the ending, that's not where our heart goes. All we know at this point is that this is Pharaoh's daughter, that Pharaoh is the one who's commanded all these Hebrew boys to be drowned in the Nile. And so as the basket is fetched, as the lid is removed, as it's discovered to be a baby Hebrew boy, there is only one possible fate. She may have them do it at a distance, but she will have her attendants do something to dispose of this child. Everyone knows at that moment what needs to happen except that as she looks at that child, something snaps in her too. Maybe it's the inhumanity or the injustice or the impossibility of destroying such a life. Maybe it's her own desire for children, but something swells up inside of her. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she says. And as she ponders what to do, as we wait on the edge of our seats to see if she will disobey her father, her pharaoh, a god, the sister appears. As if out of nowhere, 
She sees an opportunity to act and so inserts herself in the story unfolding before her with courage I cannot comprehend. She comes right up to Pharaoh's daughter and offers to go find a wet nurse from among the Hebrews to nurse this child for Pharaoh's daughter. And there it is. Maybe Pharaoh's daughter had been considering it, maybe not. But suddenly now, out in the open is another option. You could adopt him. You could raise him. You could bring him into your home. You could be his savior. He doesn't have to die. There is one other option. You. The boy's life is still in the balance But what was only moments earlier impossible is now suddenly possible. A way was made where there was no way. And with one word, the impossible possibility is secured. Pharaoh's daughter says, yes. The boy's life is saved. But the story's not over. The sister runs to find her mother. The boy's mother brings her back, and she is hired by Pharaoh's daughter to raise her own child. How could she ever have imagined, as she carried this baby boy, as she gave birth to a child with a death sentence over it, as she hides him for three months, as she places him in the Nile River and walks away, how could she have ever imagined she would receive him back, let alone under orders by Pharaoh's daughter, let alone paid from Pharaoh's own purse? And as if that shock were not enough, we soon find out who this baby boy is. As Pharaoh's daughter adopts him and brings him into Pharaoh's court, she names him Moses. This is Moses, the one who will bring the people out of slavery, the one who will part the Red Sea, the one who will walk and talk with God, the one who receives the Ten Commandments, the one who leads the people through the wilderness for 40 years to the edge of the Promised Land. This is Moses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. What a story, right? I want you to see the story in this story. But that's not all I want you to see. Because it's not just a great story. So I want you to see, too, this story in the story. I want you to see how this story finds its place in the story of God. Because there are echoes of that larger story all over the place. Maybe you heard the flood echoing as the raging waters of destruction again surge, threatening to destroy God's creation. But instead of plunging beneath the waters, a small remnant is held afloat by the hand of God. It's no accident that the Hebrew word for basket is the same as ark, For Moses is held in his own ark, floating above these waters of destruction, saved and eventually drawn out to be God's new beginning as God sets about rescuing God's people from slavery. Maybe you heard another echo. An echo of a story still to come when God's people have been led out of Egypt but are now pinned between Pharaoh's charging chariots and the Reed Sea on the other side of them. And with death and defeat secured, Moses again steps into the water, only for it to part. For God to again make a way where there was no way. For the people to cross on dry land to the other side and for the waters to destroy Pharaoh's army. 
Just as Moses was safely born through water and reeds, rescued from the brutality of Egypt, and provided with daily sustenance, so too will Israel be. Maybe it was another echo. A story even further off into the future of another Hebrew woman who conceives and bears a son and gives him the name the angel told her, Jesus. Another child born under a death sentence. For as King Herod heard about this child's birth, he saw it as a threat to his reign, a threat again to national security, and issues an edict that all children under the age of two in Bethlehem will be killed. And so again, with weeping and wailing, in the midst of the slaughter of so many innocents, this young boy's parents again act in faith and head down again to Egypt that his life may be spared, living there as refugees, another ark of sorts, until God could deliver the deliverer. Or maybe you heard another echo. Because this is just how God works. God's stories are always filled with irony. Here it was the instrument of Pharaoh's destruction, the Nile, that becomes the means of God's salvation, just like the cross. Here it was the supposedly powerless daughters who were allowed to live that become the ones to thwart Pharaoh's plans. It's the weak who shame the strong. It's the mother who saves Moses by following Pharaoh's commands, although with a twist. It's Pharaoh's own family who undermines his policies and saves the one who will lead Israel out. It's Moses who is trained in Pharaoh's own court to be the leader Israel needs because all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is just how God works. Using people like the mother and the sister and Pharaoh's daughter, choosing the likes of Joseph and Moses and David and you. The unqualified and the unimportant are the ones God chooses to carry along God's story of salvation. We often think we are too small and insignificant, that we lack the training and the position to be of any real use, to make any real change or difference in the world. And yet the truth is that that's exactly the sort of person God always uses. In Exodus, God's plans lie firmly on the back of a helpless baby floating down the Nile in an improvised basket ark. Those who are chosen to act are women who have little or no obvious power. The mighty arm of God is not revealed in power and grandeur, but in a risky and seemingly doomed Hail Mary. And that's the way God wanted it. Talk about a story. Talk about adventure. This is what we're invited into as followers of Jesus, to be part of God's harebrained plan to use people like us to bear the light of Christ into a world of darkness, to destroy our, to restore our homes and our neighborhoods, our schools to God's designs, to step out of this sanctuary and enter every sphere of public life. Not to just be good people according to the moral standards of our age. Not to be good Republicans or good Democrats. But to live as part of this story. To let your story be caught up in the story. To be used by God against all odds and in grave danger. 
I don't know what God is calling you to this morning, but I know God is calling you. I don't know what the Spirit is saying, but I know that if we listen, the Spirit is speaking. And so as we come now again to the waters, remember that you too are Moses. That you too have been drawn up out of the waters. That you have died already and risen already in Christ. That you too have been sealed by the Holy Spirit marked as God's own forever and called to follow Christ in mission. So what is that call? How is God aiming to use you in the story as we come to gather at the river? Listen again for the call of Jesus to come and to follow. Amen.